Hello and welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast hosted by myself, Kroja Buffon. This is the third episode and an episode that is both slightly different and a bit emotional. Wandin Zimande had many titles, founder, television executive, channel head, DJ, creative director, father, husband, brother, and friend. He was always going to be one of the first guests when I eventually started a podcast. I was also going to work on his book and the story of Lakshan Culture, the brand he co-founded in the late 90s. We constantly talked about content in the creative sector and how we were going to collaborate until suddenly in January of this year, he passed away. Last year, just before the lockdown in South Africa, I hosted what was to be the first in a series of events where I had conversations with people, particularly in the arts, culture and design spaces. The idea was to eventually film them and start a web series and podcast series specifically tied to that event. Wendy was my first guest, and there was a power outage that day, so I plunked my phone on a table between the two of us and pressed record. This episode is that recording, so please forgive the bad sound quality at times, um, as well as during the Q&A where you wouldn't necessarily be able to hear the questions clearly. It was hosted at Black Bistro in Johannesburg, and I'd like to thank Wandi's wife, Sapo, for allowing me to share the wisdom of my friend, Wandi Nzimande. So the first question I want to ask, sure. what did you want to be when you grew up? So 11-year-old Wandi, running the streets of Soweto, what did you want to be? At 11? Yeah. It, it's actually weird. I, I had... I was at uh, I was in Soweto, I was at Shareworld, there was a place called Shareworld. And we, the, the uh, mechanic of ticketing was very weak, so we, we, you could see movies for free. And I saw a really horrible movie called Wrath. It's, it's really a weird movie. And it had effects, and I just fell in love with the effects of filmmaking in that movie. It was just weird, and I just went, I was interested in making effects. And I, and I got home and I told my mom about, I'm interested in effects, and then she came back to me. She said, uh, do you know that if you want to do effects, you're gonna have to be a makeup artist? I was like, makeup? So that was the last time I thought about what to do, anything to do with effects, because it had to do with makeup. Uh, and then I started listening to teachers uh, who then kind of moved me towards what I was good at at school, which was math, science, and then I was pushed towards engineering, natural science. Uh, computer science, information systems, and things like that, yeah. And then you go and you make clothes. Yeah. Which also came from your mother. Yes. So the, you went from makeup to making clothes. Yeah. But it didn't feel like too big a jump for you. Um, yeah. I think as a start, as you said, everything came from my mother. I am so proud of coming from my mother. Excuse the pun. Make um, uh, a soul rest in peace. Everything revolves around my mother, man. Like um, those who interact with me or follow me on, on, on my socials will know that the death was something that was really hectic. You know? um, and, and I think I just want to take this opportunity to thank you. Uh, of breaking a very horrible cycle 
uh, that I was in. Uh, she passed away, I think, in 2015. And last year, I was going on about the fact that, you know, I've had a horrible four years. You know, since she passed on, it's been, you know, I've had a f- horrible four years of my life. And, all, and you said to me, hey, stop counting. You said you remember that? <laughs> that's, what, that's what you said. Even my absent minded the second you were sometimes. <laughs> you, you, you were going through your Ndalo stuff, right? <laughs> but this is not about me. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> we were, we were, we were, you know? And you were like, yeah, I'm also going through stuff, but, but stop, stop counting. Yeah. You know, and, and, and when I stopped counting, I think it's when I came out of that slumber, you know, because I'd been in this dark thing where the, the, the loss of my mother was just this. I mean, I actually used to say that my mother's death took uh, my smile away, you know. And when you when you said that, the first thing I did was smile. And then I was like, yes, yo, yo, where have I been? And then I started again. And for that, I, I want to thank you. Um, and um, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in uh, I'm in treatment. Uh, um, I've had two seizures in two years. Um, so it's a slow progress. Something that I'm trying to deal with. Uh, which, which I think the most critical thing, and that's why I'm talking about my mother, is that when my mother passed on. She was very worried about me. She didn't care about anyone else. I mean, like, she, she had two other children. But she was like, yo, yeah, I'm worried about one. Yo, my boy, my boy, he's going to cry. Yo, he's not going to be okay, which is true, you know? But I think she, she actually prepared me for a whole lot more than just the death as well. She really prepared me for a lot of things, man, you know? But I think the biggest thing was that she prepared me to be... The, the leader of our home because as a single mother I had to raise my other brothers she really prepared me for that she prepared me for her death but ultimately she prepared me to to lead a couple of revolutions I've been in denial about that you know like I, I led a very hectic revolution when it comes to fashion I've, I've been in denial about it you know um, they say there's a fine line between humility and stupidity, but I was stupid about it, you know? But yeah, like, it's still not an industry, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I've got a very big day tomorrow, I'll overshare, <laughs> you know? Uh, which hopefully will, will, will create another revolution in terms of blockchain culture, you know? But, um, so how do you, now that you've, as you're going through your journey, right, yeah. and that growth and that making sense of it, yeah. um, how do you see her legacy? Because the start of luxury culture, the start of your relationship with clothing and fashion, did stem from her and the stuff that she did within that space. Yeah. How do you reflect back on it now? Maybe you start off by recounting. Like I know, like I know some of the backstory. Yeah. Recounting kind of what she was doing with clothes, in particular, like old clothes, yeah. and how that opened you up to the space of fashion, and then and then go to now with that awareness. How you how do you perceive it as different? That legacy. I think the main thing that I learned from her. I mean, um, one of the things that I, I was hectic about when it comes to my mother, 
uh, is that she lost her father when she was 12. That was the love of her life, right? Her first marriage failed, <laughs> you know, uh, to, to my father, you know. Uh, her second marriage to my stepfather failed, you know. Uh, and, and, and she always felt that she was a failure when it, when it came to men. More importantly, she gave birth to three men, you know. And, 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 and us as these three men, we, 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 we just felt that we had to make her proud as these three men because she just felt so disappointed by men like all the time. You know, so that's the one thing that us as my brothers are really proud of. I mean, like, we're proud of the fact that we've never been to jail. We're proud of the fact that we're super loyal to our women and our wives. We're proud of the fact that uh, we don't have uh, tattoos. But like we 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 we, we like we, we we try to just be like super mommy's boys, you know, so that we we didn't disappoint her, you know. But I think I think ultimately, which 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 I want to go back to like to what to, to what to what you asked, we had this thing of wanting to emulate her in how she always spoke of how to turn your lemons to lemonade. So when 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 she when she grew up without a father, right? You know, like my mother bragged about the fact that she was a virgin until she got married. Like she was really proud of that. You know, I have three daughters who I, you know, like from a legacy perspective, it's something that I want to share with them. It's like, you know, it's like, but hey, it's like, how do I do that? You know, it's like a battle with that. It's like she's not here to even talk to. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, that's besides the point. But like. She, she was the master of turning every bad situation into something good. And whenever there was anything bad, she would always find something good in it. And I think if I were to look at my entire life, everything that I've done, everything came from something that was bad. Like, Lockton culture came from the fact that I was working three jobs, right? And working three jobs, I've, uh, I, 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 I left university trying to feed my family and I'm like, if I'm doing all of this, surely I can do this for myself. So fuck it. I want to do this for myself and I started my own business. You know what I mean? Um, I fell in love with visual media as a whole, right? because of, of being misdiagnosed with depression, you know? A uh, good brother of mine who's here, and thank you for coming, Jay, uh, Jamil, made an amazing movie, and I told him now, it's one of the best things I've ever seen, Nako City, well done, boy. Um, and I'm gonna clap on you, you know? And, 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 um, and I'm gonna thank him as well, you know? Um, I was misdiagnosed with depression because I just lost a business partner. Um, uh, my mentor, who really believed in, in the business uh, of luxury culture, and Jamil had, had been coming to my house almost every single day, and he was like, dude, you know, I think you'd be great in this visual media business. I see what you're doing in fashion, but like, I see something in visual media. You, you said that. 
you said that. He was like, the way you talk, it's how these guys talk. The way you walk, it's how these guys walk. And they pissed me off. You will be amazing on this thing. That's what he did. Am I, am I wrong? And I was like, no, but what are you talking about? He's like, come join me. And then, then, then I joined him. We ran an amazing business. Well, half the time, we lost a lot of pitches to a lot of businesses, you know, to the Ebbing Brews and things like that as well. And all those failures, I mean, like our business, I mean, yeah, it was a credit crunch, <laughs> a whole lot of things. But all those failures created a monster in me that then got into television. And from, from that, you know, I'm proud to say I created things like formats like Live Amp, which is the longest running music show in television right now, you know? Uh, no, but, <laughs> but it came from him, you know? But what was, so for example, what was that yeah. transition like? So yeah. you had blockchain culture. Yeah. Um, why did blockchain culture from the, from the outside end? It didn't end. Didn't end. Um, why was that? Was there that impression, and that a lot of people still have? Yeah. That blockchain culture is over. So last year, we're celebrating 20 years, 20 years right? Yeah. And people are going blockchain culture's back, and everybody's going, but we're going, but it never went in. So what happened that all of a sudden blockchain culture, in essence, it feels like it disappeared? I, I, well, okay. On 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 one level. There's, uh, I'm going to answer it in two ways. We started the business in 1997, and for two years we tried and no one cared. And then just when, just before, just, just before the crack of dawn, we were just about to give up, which was... 1999, when we say established in 99, when I went to almost every single black person that I knew, and I'm not gonna name and shame them, but they laughed at us. They laughed at us. No, no, like every single black person for funding. And the funding that we needed was just for office space, just for, they laughed at us. And then I had this mentor that we'd been working with who was also laughing at us. He was white and he was laughing at us from a cultural perspective, it's like how? And you guys are not united. And you guys don't have a system where someone believes in you. I believe in you. You know, and he was laughing. He's like, how can't you, how, how do you guys operate? I, man, okay, I, I, okay, let me help you then. It was a pity thing. But the one thing that I absolutely love about Brian, right? And, 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 and I think that's why, to a certain extent, I was misdiagnosed with depression. The reason I was proud that he was a, a, a pure member and he will forever be a pure member of Lockton Culture as a white man, right? And as a part of Lockton Culture, he said, my stake in Lockton Culture, right, as a white man, is that in South Africa, you need a brand that stands for black culture. That is how you stick it to the white man. And if they ask, yes, a white man was part of it. I want my legacy to be part of that. That's why I love that dude. Forever. 
forever, like forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Forever. <laughs> you know. So, so, so he, he wanted to be hidden all the time. No, don't, don't, don't tell him that I'm part of it. Don't tell. And, and, and I bragged about it. So when I went in '99, established '99, the established '99. 99 was without hesitation, without delay. We're going to do it with white people or not, but we're doing it. Fuck Rainbow Nation, what the, 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 we're doing it, 99. Without hesitation, without delay. Yeah. And if you know what I mean, without color, whatever, but we're doing it. It's our country with its contradictions, with whatever it is. But with, these are the resources that we have. The resources that we have, we've got belief, we've got an idea, we have a market. We have a guy who believes in us and he's got a network. Not money. We went to ask for money, but people laughed at us. But just before dusk, 99, it happened. It happened 99, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. That's seven years. A, a fashion brand really has a shelf life of three to four years max. We had seven. And in 2006, seven, when, as I said then, and, and my partners didn't understand it, I said, hey guys, the trendsetters are not wearing us anymore, it's the idiots now. And when they said, no, but what do you mean it's the idiots? When, what I mean by that, and, and, you, and you guys will know what I mean, right? When you look now, Uzi is being worn by idiots. <laughs> Am I wrong in saying that? We all laugh at it. When you look at Uzi, like, ah, Uzi, woo. So when the idiots, as in, when you look at somebody, like, oh, oh, so when the idiots, and when I, when I say idiots, people that don't portray the brand very well. And that's what I say, I was like, ah. And what I mean by not, 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 not to say the actual, I'm just saying, yeah. when you look at someone who portrays the brand in a negative way, and that started happening. And I was like, ah probably going to have to give the brand a bit of a break. You can't force feed people. In fact, we're probably going to have to just take a back seat. In fact, to be more, to be honest, guys, we've had a good run. Let's, let's, let's rest. And for me, there's a big difference between being rich and being wealthy. And at the time, I said, we're wealthy, guys. And for me, a wealthy man is a man who knows when he's had enough. And we'd had enough. For seven years, we'd had enough. And in 2006, I decided, I want to be a DJ. So I became a DJ. I became a DJ. I do want to talk about the DJ thing. Yeah. In the, in the documentary, and I hope you remember them, because yeah. I don't remember all of them. Yeah. So something that you did very, that, was, that was really powerful with the, the Lakshin Culture documentary. Yeah. Um, was each episode had a particular lesson. Yeah. What were those lessons? I remember very well. So the first episode was about the beginning, about how the idea came about. And the first lesson was that you are enough. And I was enough with the fact that how I came up with the idea is that we were kind of exiled uh, because of something that happened. My stepfather was a, uh, an important man at, at Standard Bank, and for business reasons, we had to leave so early. Like, literally, like, we were 
It was a Friday, but Saturday we had to move from Soweto for security reasons and move to Brighton. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my friends, my three girlfriends. <laughs> I still haven't seen them to this day. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And, 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 and I think one of the most poetic things as well is that this, this was in 1990, right? But not just 1990. This was on the 10th of February, 1990. You wake up, and there's like this movement around the house. And then my mother's like, come, 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 for like lunch. Come, 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 come. We're all like, like hiring my, my, my dad to like connect the TV. Uh, my stepdad was useless, so I had to connect the TV. <laughs> I'm there as a 14-year-old. Hey, when I hurry up, then connect the TV, connect the TV. And still like, and then I must hold the area. I can't move, I can't move, you know. And then we watch this guy that I've never seen in my life. And he's walking out of somewhere, and he's walking with people. Literally, the first day in suburbia, Bryanston, Lush, pool, and everything. The first day Mandela walked out of prison. I was free before Mandela. Uh, big house. Yeah, we're swimming, but it was quiet. <laughs> no, so so I, so in the first episode, we actually talk about that, you know, where all of a sudden on a Sunday, like you know, yes, we fried eggs, bacon, but yeah, on my queen, was that Monday we oversleep. There's no sound of taxis, you know. But literally from day one, two, three, I am missing my lotion culture. That's how auction culture came about. And, and that's what I mean by the bad always creates something positive. So auction culture was created literally from 1990 where this whole constant yearn for, I hate this, this suburban thing where it's quiet. Firstly, it's still during apartheid. Because that was 1990. Mm. I, I'm, I'm an illegal... Uh, alien in Bryanston because the land act was still <laughs> so, so we have to hide <laughs> so we have to hide because every time we're out there we get arrested yeah. so, so, we, yeah. so so we're, so we're still illegals in Bryanston I'm happy in the southern but guess what we are we are fools and clowns at, at our school we were in a school in, in, in observatory where now I'm out of touch with Everything that is township. Okay, so that's episode one. That's episode one. So, so, so episode one is really about the fact that you're enough. You don't need anything. But just an idea and belief. That's all. That's all you need. Episode two was about our journey. Uh, once we met Brian with this idea, Brian, okay, you know, with a belief, said, "Okay, cool. Uh, what's the big idea?" And my big idea, I don't know where I have the idea. It's like you now putting us in this room. Right? You're enough, you have the idea, the belief, and we all believe that we'll be here. God knows where this is going to go, right? And that's exactly what happened. So episode two is your desire to succeed needs to be greater than your fear of failure. Yes. Say it again. Louder.
Your desire to succeed should be greater than your fear of failure. You can't. No, you, your, your fear will always be there. So, so he, like he said now, he, he wanted to do this for the last four years, five years. But guess what? He just did it. And he did it. But the fear will always be there. But I'm telling you, to like you're saying, as long as that desire, yeah. because you always, you always feel fear. Yeah. Like the, the idea that you, the idea that we tackle the world and we operate without fear yeah. is an illusion. Yes. It doesn't matter what we do, there'll always be something nagging, there'll always yeah. be a fear. But if that desire to succeed surpasses that fear, it's like courage is, courage is doing something even when you're afraid. 100%. It's not replacing the fear, it's doing it even though you're afraid of what may happen. I mean, if, if I told you about my latest project, you don't want to believe it. But I'll tell you about it again. But you wouldn't believe it. It's the craziest thing. Like it's the, I, I still think it's the craziest idea that I've ever come up with. But my desire to do it is greater than the fear of doing it. And the more I wake up every day, I'm doing it with that man sitting over there, Temba. The more I do it, it's the more him and I look at each other, we're like, yeah, we're crazy. We're crazy. And we get excited every day, and we get crazier, and we get more excited, and we get more intoxicated. And we get higher and higher, and it's our drug, and it's our drug, and we get higher and higher. And, 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 and I mean, if, if, if I want to tell you about one of Jamil's first movies, Shokan Kumalo, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing yeah. piece of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's an amazing piece premise, of work. Even the premise, like even the premise, the starting point, like you know. But it, if, if you haven't done that, <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, so for me, the, the fear will always be there, and you need the fear. It, it becomes your fuel, but the the, the the desire becomes your goal. And without that desire to succeed, you've got nowhere to go. But without the fear, you don't have the fear. In episode three. And then episode three really looks into answering what you just asked now to say, what happened between the, the six amazing years, right? And then all of a sudden we go from year number seven to how? Now we're 20 years old. So from the seventh year, uh, Chava decided, I, okay, we've had a good run, I'm gone, and he leaves, which was really heartbreaking for me. Um, yes, yeah, to some extent, it's well documented. I'm still not cool about it, even I'm not cool. <laughs> you know? um, Greg, my log at Kaya still tells me to get over it. Um, yeah, it is what it is, you know. Um, and I guess it's part of adulting, you know. Uh, that phrase of it is what it is is like the most adulting statement ever. It is what it is. And then you go to bed, <laughs> and you wake up the next day, and it is what it is, <laughs> you know. It is what it is, you know. <laughs> um, and, and, and I just felt that I, I was too much, like I just realized that the, the brand was bigger than me. You know, the, the, the brand was so big 
I had to start giving it to the people. And I started working with people like ProKid, JR, and then the brand just started traveling. It's, and and I, I literally just, I stopped keeping it to myself and then I, I just let it be, you know, and started doing amazing things. Um, I think one of the most amazing thing was winning the L brand, what is it, I think that brand of the decade in yeah. 2010, which, which I think was amazing for us at the time. Because at the time, I thought, it's finished now. I, I didn't care for it. At the time, I, all I cared for was creating content. I just, I mean, Jamil had just given me the bug of creating content, you know, and Luxon Content, which is a licensed business, was still carrying on, uh, but wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't dying. It was, it was just there. For me, I just felt, okay, it's seven years, it's, it's gone. But no, it was still there. We're still there. Pro was still there. We were still pushing. And then I think in 2012, things just got hectic with the brand. It just got... And, and I think that's what the third episode is about to say, there is, which was the lesson as well, that there is no... There is no day that is so bright that dark will never come. And there is no night that is so dark that day will never come. And, and it's really about being able to balance the two. And, and, and it's really to humble you that there'll be days of success, enjoy them, and there'll be days of failure. Embrace them and enjoy the two. And I've, I've had, you know, like, even, I've had amazing people in my life who I wish I could have helped, like, WHP, who was an amazing soul, and I wish I could have told him that. Uh, I think I tried, but I didn't have enough time. Uh, that's one of the things that every day I think about every single day. Um, and, 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 and I think the, our world, and especially when it comes to our children, they need to learn that it's okay to fail. I think, I think in, 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 in this world of instant gratification and, satisf and satisfaction, fulfillment is something that has just been taken for granted. It's like fulfillment, fulfillment and purpose has, have been mis misplaced and it's something that doesn't exist anymore. And, and, and for me, the, the three things that I gravitate on are purpose, legacy and community. If I'm not part of a community, then I'm lost. If I don't have a purpose within a community, I'm lost. And if I don't have a legacy within a community, then who am I? And without those three things, I'm just an actor. <laughs> now, final lesson. Yeah. Four was then a lesson that didn't come from me. It was a lesson that came from Arthur Ashe, um, where, you know, while we, we all thrive to win, um, at the end of the day, it's really just about being in it to win it. You have to be in it. You know, it's, it's, it's really just being in it. How do you define that in it for yourself? When the, so be, 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 how do you define success? Success is being in it. 
being in it is waking up and washing up and showing up. That's winning. And so you decide you're going to be a DJ. Yeah. What was the plan? Like, you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm ready to become a DJ. In 2006, um, after being so cool for many years, after being on every single media platform, I'm talking Forbes, Al, Fair Lady, uh, everything. Dram, uh, <coughs> uh, Bona, everything, 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 I mean, how many times can you be a black boy from Soweto that starts the brand out of nowhere for 1750 and is now everywhere it's from Cape to Cairo, blah, 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 you know? Um, even bored of your own story, you know? People are bored of the story. And, and more importantly, people want to hear new things and people want new things. And then people start to say in your face, hey, but what's new, you know? And then out of nowhere, 2007, 2008, 2009, there's a mark keep keep, and then people are telling you straight up, like, yeah, ooh, finally, there's something new, ooh, something fresh. And guess what? They are fresh. <laughs> and guess what? They're kicking your ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And guess what? They're everywhere, you know? Um, and you're calling people and like, ah, it's that guy. <laughs> Not this guy, it's that guy, you know? Yeah, I, I just had to rebrand myself. And I, 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 how do you, how do you, I mean, how do you approach that new position? Because there's, so there's the fashion blockchain culture, there's DJ1D, but there's also you as a content producer. Yeah. And a content creator and a broadcaster. Yeah. How, how do you transition between those? What does it look like in your head, if that makes sense? Um, is there a thread that runs through them, or is it these individual things that you're interested in, and you're just going to do the individual things? So I'll share a very hectic story. <clears throat> in 2007, I tried to sell the business. Um, to a man who's now my mentor. And uh, as you, just before we sold the business, he says, I can't buy this business. He said, I'll be buying you, and you're not the business. You can't be the business. You're, you, what, happens, what happens if you die? Then there's no more business. And uh, you, I, plus you are uh, like just everywhere, you can't focus, you're doing all these things, you're like all these multiple things, you need to learn how to focus. And then I meet this amazing uh, life coach who coaches me to learn how to focus. Because now I'm on this mission, like yo, now I need to be worth something, so I need to learn how to focus. So I spend about eight months learning how to focus. <laughs> eight months, learn how to focus. And, and uh, I go to this life coach who has coached without name dropping, big companies, big listed companies. And on our last life coach lesson, well-respected woman kicks me out of the office and swears at me. She says, 
fuck you and fuck off out of my office, uh, you can't focus. I'll pay. I'll pay. Are you paying for this? Yes, and we also had a trade-off. Uh, so uh, she was also a, 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 a lecturer. <laughs> so she was also a, a, a lecturer at, um, uh, at a, um, she trained uh, MBA students. So I used to talk, at, you know, and then, you know, she used to give me lessons as well. So she says to me, um, you, 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 can't, you, you, you can't focus. In fact, Unlike all these people that have paid me all this money, fuck off out of my office. You can't focus, you thrive under chaos. You're different. You thrive under chaos, fuck off. Go thrive under your chaos. I left me depressed. But then I knew, okay, cool, I'll thrive under chaos. And then I met her about two years ago and uh, she apologized for <laughs> for that process, and then uh, she actually said that I changed her her whole approach to teaching because she had never appreciated my skill, and she's got to know and develop a, a, a new program for people who are like me, and she got to know that there's other people that she discovered around the world who are like me, and, da, 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 and now she wants to learn through me how to manage people that are much I don't, she called it a multifaceted something blah, 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 blah. But, 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 but but from her what I learned as well uh, is that I basically have what what now uh, from her I basically created a method to my madness which is what we basically created is that I've got three buttons so if, if, if I was an aeroplane it Every, every time I have to take off, I have to make sure that these three buttons are on. And if those three buttons are not on, I, I can't take off. And those buttons are ease, passion, and money. Without money, the passion doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't matter whatever comes easy. I'm, I'm just not going to be able to do anything because I can't get out of my house because I haven't paid my bond or I haven't paid anything. So what I do for money, I make content and I make television. So I have to make TV, I have to. So that's what I do for money. Passion, I love music with my heart. Like I've, 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 I've been a DJ since I was 10 at my mother's Tupperware parties, you know? And ease, I've been folding t-shirts and unpacking bales of secondhand clothing since I was five. So clothing is something that comes, it's my second nature. So luxury culture and anything that has to do with fabric and clothing is easy for me. So I'll always be in the clothing business. That's easy for me. I'll always, I always need music to feed my passion. But for me to make money, I'll always make money from television. So those three buttons always have to be pressed. So the way that I, I transcend 
through all three is those three buttons always have to be pressed. So every day, I always have to have music around me. Every day. So whether it's I'm doing my mixes for Kaya or I'm doing different gigs, different parties, creating different experiences, coming up with different ideas and things like that. I want to veer off a little bit just yeah. because it's a conversation we had last week. I won't talk about the details of our conversation, uh, but just in terms of how you approach, for example, your mixes. Yeah. Um, because you don't, you don't just put music together, right? Yeah. There's a particular story you tell. What's your process in terms of, okay, I'm recently with Dilla's passing, yeah. um, you know, every year you'll have a commemorative mix for, for Dilla. Yeah. How do you go about it? Like, where do you start? And I think with, with, I think even with all content, and apart from even just content, um, time is very precious. Um, and the quintessential phrase, time is money. Um, my, my good captain here, we, we've worked on many strategies and many and many pictures and many slides and we, we, we once made a presentation that one of a client and one of the slides that we made was that time is an investment and an investment needs a return. Now, if you create content, right, that's, that's, in, that's time that is, is in, that is invested. So if, if I want to make a mix that goes on air, someone is going to spend time listening to that mix. So the big question that I ask is, if you're going to listen to my mix, what return are you going to get on that investment? Michael Jordan's probably like one of my biggest biggest motivators. I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. I, as much as I wear Luxon culture, I only wear two brands. <laughs> I only wear two brands. Uh, it's uh, Luxon culture and Nike. And the only reason it's Nike is because a lovely sister-in-law is the uh, proudly brand manager of Nike. And I have to support that, you know? Um, Michael Jordan, when asked why he became the best basketball player, he said, because he never took, for grant, took it for granted that everyone that saw him play saw him play for the first time. So every time he got on the court, he played like it was the first time. That inspired me. So every time I DJ, every time I do a mix, I treat each mix like whoever's listening is listening to me for the first time. And that way I make sure that I don't take it for granted. Yeah, now and again I'll, you know, like Zandi, my seven-year-old, while I'm mixing, will come and try to get my attention and uh, I'll have to start again. Because we don't do the mixes live. People don't know that. We create content at home. Have our own little studios, we email them. 
<laughs> ain't got time. Not time to be driving to the studio every Friday and Saturday, you know, living in a digital era, <laughs> you know. Still in times where people go and DJ one day on the ones and twos, and I'm like, no. <laughs> so, there's no ones and twos going on. He's all, he's all on the pots at home, you know. <laughs> and iPhone during the mix. I'm like, listen, that mix, and he's trying to remember what, what song did I put What song did I put on? This mix this But But I, I, I think. It, what people also don't understand as well is what makes it a great mix as well is that I try to play songs that you would not hear on radio. One, we play songs that have cusses. So from an investment perspective, we spend a lot of time editing cusses because we play songs that are not radio edits. So we'll do a mix and then I sit there and I edit Nigga, <laughs> fuck, bitch, ass. <laughs> you know, and 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 for me, that that's that's the value I'm trying to put in, and and that's the value I'm hoping someone will benefit from when they're listening, because you wouldn't hear it, you wouldn't hear it on radio, and that's the value. So, Kaya benefits because you will not hear that song on ninety four point seven. You will not hear. That's on one metro, you will not. So that's for me is what I've tried to grow as a USP for Kaya. So as you know, we've we've had that corner for what nine years. But one more year, boss, I'm done. <laughs> we've had a conversation. And note, he's been saying this for three years now. <laughs> three years. And, and last year, last year I had a conversation. Was like, I told them I'm done, <laughs> and I put it on the radio, and there he is. DJ, what? <laughs> <laughs> It's not second party. <laughs> passion, you know? Um, I want to give the opportunity if anybody has any questions, comments before we ask my last one, two questions and then close off. You're listening to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast, which is tied to my book, also called Listen to Your Footsteps, which is a collection of essays, reflections, and some poems on fatherhood, identity, and the like. This episode is a conversation I had with the late Wandin Simande in March 2020, where we explored the journey of Lakshan culture, entrepreneurship, music, the creative industries, and so much more. Um, maybe you can share with us the value of mentorship, this, um, the relationship that you, you've spoken about uh, in terms of mentors in your life. I think that yeah. a big role. Can you expand on that? Um, I'm big on culture, and one of the biggest things I think of culture, and I, I think, uh, and I'll reflect on my brotherhood with you. I think one of the most amazing things I've had with you is the respect I think that we've had for each other. Uh, not only our brotherhood, but I think just the level of respect the way we talk to each other, the way we look at each other. Um, you did say you wanna, this conversation is about getting into my mind. Uh, I'm a very spiritual person. Uh, and I really believe that as much as uh, God is up above, uh, our ancestors are I think God is what we look at when we look at each other. I think ancestors is who we are. Um, so the way I talk to you is how you talk to God. The way I treat you is how you treat God. And that is what godliness is. Mentorship, for me, 
is possibly the closest thing to godliness. It's what connects us. It's how we exchange ideas. It's how we exchange information. I was driving with an Uber driver today and he said, the world has got everything for everyone. It's just the 2% of those people that have kept everything to themselves for 98% of us to suffer. <laughs> so so if, 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 if the 98% of us could share, so for me, mentorship is, is, is sharing. And, and if, if, if all of us could share, and the reason I appreciate what you do is that this is the ability to be able to share. And, and, and I hope that uh, whatever it is that I've shared, no matter how small, can help in any way, shape or form, uh, in terms of making the decisions that you may need to be able to make in your life, whether it's for personal reasons or business or whatever. Whether it's today or five years from now, I remember this guy said something, <laughs> you know, but I think sharing goes a long way and mentorship is possibly the closest thing to that. But I think ultimately, when you look at what Ubuntu is about, Ubuntu is about respecting people that were there before you. And mentorship is exactly that. Mentorship is going to people that were there before you. So if, if, if you want to be a doctor, go to someone that was a doctor. That's Ubuntu, going to someone that has been a doctor. That's someone who's, I don't know if you know what I mean. So if, if the mentorship that you gave, for me, that's Ubuntu. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like the, the mentorship that I give to, 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 to a lot of kids who want to go into fashion, that's Ubuntu. A lot, I mean, like right now I've got you know, about six kids that it's about a whole DJing thing and I'm trying to even tell them like, guy, like I, I, I can't, teach you wiki wiki it's a practice thing like i can't teach you it's a practice thing <laughs> you know it's a practice thing you know <laughs> you, <have> to, <laughs> you know uh, but yeah like like i was saying mentorship for me is is is, is for for especially for, for 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 our continent and ultimately the era that we're in where it's all about shared services it fits into where we are i mean like there is no other time. I mean, every time I go into Instagram, ah, master class, master class. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, 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 it fits into, in, in, into, the, in, into, call it the, the environment where people are hungry for wanting to understand how to transform their lives from where they are and where they want to be. I want to know, what do you know now that you wish you knew? Uh, to be honest with you, that I can. Yeah, like, like that I can. Like that I can. Like, like that I can. Like Mine is a bit, a bit more detailed and a bit long-winded. So I was once asked, what would I what would I tell my 21-year-old self? Um, and I was asked to give a talk on it, and I basically just said, I wouldn't tell them anything. Because 
I really believe I am where I am. I'm, I am where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And all I can do is work with the information I have at my disposal right now, with my life, the circumstances, etc. I don't know if I take that, like I take that knowledge, you know, I take that knowledge now and put it into me two years ago. I don't know that me two years ago would, two years ago would have been able to handle it. Like I needed to go through the last two years to get to the point where, where I am now. And so sometimes those, those lessons, the different lessons and the different moments that have happened in my life have brought me to a point where I'm like, like I'm all right. And, and to, give a, to give a slightly hectic example, which I grappled with for a very long time. So my mother died when I was one. And, you know, obviously you want both your parents, so you miss, you'll miss a parent. At some stage, I actually had the internal conversation with myself to go, you know, if I could have, would I say, okay, I wanted my mother to be here for that journey. But you can never predict anything. So I was, the conclusion I came to was that at that point, I think, like, I'm good. I think I'm a decent enough human being. I'm out in the world. I'm contributing. I'm doing things. I have my flaws like everybody else. This I know. I don't know what kind of person I've turned into if she had been there. So rather than lamenting on or, or going, I hope X, Y, Z happen, is to appreciate where I am because I can't change that. Thank you. What long and hard about? Two days. Did you have a question? Sure. Thank you for having these tapings. You know, I was thinking about it. Like, there's something about things happening, and I think we've lost the value of understanding, seeing things, and seeing because everybody does want to see the end Yeah. To, to the private schools and then you're fighting over the aircon. 
And now you know why. You guys are always cold, we're always hot, you know? So what happens is that we created a subculture. Okay, so there's very nuanced things about yeah. this country that people don't understand, yeah. right? Because we think it's just at a racial construct and all these different constructs. But even amongst ourselves, we're like, yo, friend, I get you, you get me, right? Because we get each other. So having a mentor who then we look up to mentors, right? But I think the exchange is so important because giving your power to someone else is also a thing we need to teach people that mentors give us the guidance and the map, but it's not for us to kind of like get them to be the worst. 100%, yeah. Okay, because then your mentor says to you, go and, and because you are not focused, and the world works from that construct. Because the others are always perceived you're not focused, you don't know what you're doing, you're all the place, da, da, da. So when we have our internal conversations, we're like, am I misplaced and this bed? But that's not who I am, right? But you go there and then you totally, for lack of a better word in the world, and if the, the person who's on the other end. Because remember, always when we're getting guidance from people, it's giving our power away from them, because they know better. I'm learning, I'm maturity, and I think for me, what I've learned from tonight and like going through your whole series is that understanding who I am and saying it's okay to like have a definition that just is defined in the space. It doesn't have to be understood. Yeah. But everyone else is my currency. And until the great thing about that, we constantly in the name of Yeah. And I'm trying to fit into well, I'm trying to no, it's okay. Maybe you fit into every world, you are eclectic. And that's a currency on its own. Like people are just multi-gifted. And the world doesn't celebrate. They're like, how can Kojo be a great writer? And be a great speaker? And be a great strategist? And still be able to traverse? Because that's, that those are gifting. Some people have 10 gifting, some have two, some have 100. So for me, that was like, it resonated that it's okay for us to be ourselves. As a currency. And start saying to the world, that's just who I am. What are you doing? I'm doing. Let's I'm doing me. So let's dig deep to who we never get to that point. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 you and I have had these conversations before. I appreciate that. But one thing, I didn't know that you were the person behind the film culture, so I had my t shirt. Yeah. They like the brand, they probably like the design of the t-shirt or whatever. Yeah. 
So part of the third episode, right, what we featured is the fact that year 7 to 20 is that we then changed a lot of things about the brand. Year 1 to 7, we had great success in year 1 to 4, but year 4 to 7, we had Hong Kongs like hectic mm. around the country. Mm -hmm. And then we realized year four to 20, we had phone calls to this day. Oh. Like to this day. I hope not, I hope not, <laughs> right? But, 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 then, but, then, but, but basically what we had to do with the brand, right? To, to then answer your question, what a lot of people don't know and don't realize, and we, we, we start strategically had to do that in 2007, where we had to hide and, and, and not show any marketing. Because every time I made a noise, the guys who were basically making fakes... You know the Chinese? The Chinese, right? The virus. No, we called it that. No, no, but funny enough, that's what we called it. Excuse, excuse. Anyway, um, we, we, we had to, we had to hide the label. So what, what a lot of people don't realize or even know, right, is that we actually started making our logo, and I can show you uh, when you're bored, right? We started making our logo very bland. So when you're far, you will never see that someone's wearing blocks of cut. So those who wore the brand knew that was the brand. So we made it very classic. So to this day, we still sell, but we don't make it a big thing. Because when we started, we made, we made it a big thing. But then we started learning to say, oh. That's why even the third episode, we, we titled the actual episode, the nail that stands out gets hammered. So we decided, I, I'm gonna hide. I was like, mm -hmm, we're hiding. We're not sticking out. But I'm not lying to you. When we turned 20 and I realized the more quiet I get means you become too humble. So to speak to your point, we, 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 we almost, it's almost like, um, I don't know how to put it. It's like, in fact, we have to make a noise. So like I was telling him, tomorrow I'm, I'm, I'm signing my life away to make that noise. So to answer your question, I will be making that child very proud in areas that I can't even pronounce, but man, I saw, I saw the list yesterday and I was like, what? Namakwa land. Namakwa land. Namakwa land. So there was a documentary, there's a documentary that was done that was part of the CDC one. And it is part of, it yeah. is part of now sharing that story. story. And, and the documentary had all the original players. Some of us got like a two minute cameo. <laughs> but really now unpacking unpacking the journey. And because he's also, which you won't talk about, because he's also a content producer, he's constantly producing, for example, television and stuff. And it continues to 
is, is not even necessarily unlocking culture, but the spirit of sharing the insights and sharing the knowledge with that 14-year-old child for them to know that they can and that they're enough it happens constantly. So just just an aside, but one of the things that I've decided to do with the brand is to make it a 21st century brand. So we, I want to get into electronics. We're going to make, we are making, okay, I'm going to drop a very hectic bombshell. We, we sold 300,000 units of electronics, of which 200,000 was uh, speakers and headphones. 100,000 was, hand, was handsets, entry-level handsets. Those sold in like probably like about three months. In about six months, we're hoping to create smartphones. But the purpose of creating smartphones, for me, which is what I see as a future-proof plan, as a content creator, the new fashion is not going to be clothing. The new fashion is going to be content. I want to own that. So if I can make the product to make the content and consume the content, then we'll be in fashion. And what people don't get is that's why I got into content. Thanks to that madman sitting over there. That guy sitting over there on the other side. That guy sitting over there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. So I was actually going to ask a lot of the questions to allow me to shape my thoughts and, and partly give you a challenge. So I'm happy you've touched on it. I mean, my story probably goes further than him. We used to sell a lot of shipouts to us, those who are in Bryston, and, and I'm thinking it's come full circle. The things in life that are bigger than you. So that was going to be part of my question, part of my challenge. Um, I mean, with where I can look up in the world, that science is all the way in the West, the Jay-Z's and Peter's of this world, they've allowed what they started to be bigger than that. So I was going to ask that maybe it's a blessing that you didn't sell what you talked Yeah. I think it's something that's bigger than you. So my challenge was how are you going to take it 20 years from now? So you partly answered, but maybe for Thank you for asking that, especially with what you said uh, with your last sentence now. I can handle it a lot better now. I, I can assure you now that I couldn't handle it at 22, 23. I couldn't. I'm, I'm going to be straight up with you. I want to share something that a lot of people don't know. We started this business in, in 1999, right? I was 22, 23. Right? In 2000, we flew to the U.S. We were starting Luxon Culture USA in 2000. No one will, will believe me when I tell you, but I swear on my mother's grave, we had icons like Lauren Hill to wear Luxon Culture. 
in 2000. You can Google it. There's a woman called Mary Dutcher. She's based in Chicago. Uh, she had the likes of common sense to wear the brand. The distribution was going to happen from Chicago to New York. Those were the two places. Um, and that was in 2000. We were only a year old. We were launching in the U.S. When we were presenting to Macy's, Macy's looks, looked at the brand, and then this woman looks at me, and she says, See what's so special about this brand? I know it's from South Africa. She says, yes, but where in Africa? In South Africa. Yes, but where? Where, 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 where South in Africa? Where? I said, in South Africa. Yes, I heard you, but where South in Africa? I said, no, it's a country called South Africa. I've never heard of that. Like, you've never heard of Mandela. Woo! We had to say Desmond Tutu. She didn't know what we were talking about. So the, the point I'm trying to make is she didn't care about whether, she didn't care about the brand. She just wanted to know what was so special about our clothing. And I think what, what was very hectic for me was that it didn't care. It didn't matter. Lakshin, wara wara, we, we could have called it whatever. It didn't matter. At the end of the day, it was clothing. At the end of the day, it was clothing. The poetry didn't matter. It was clothing. And we were a year old. So when I came back, I was like, I don't care. And then to speak to your point with what you said, I was like, and then to answer your question, excuse my French, fuck the world. We are staying in South Africa. We don't care about global domination. We're going to do our thing in South Africa. We learned that in our first year. We were like, fuck the world. So to answer your question, we will do best in our country. I mean, we, at some stage, we were selling in Nigeria, Ghana, but like the type of things that happened in Nigeria, boss, um, it's right here, that's the cost from here. Tiger Brands lost a huge chunk of money by operating in Nigeria. Woolworths, with a tail between their legs, ran out of Nigeria. It's not a xenophobic statement. You can't operate a business in Nigeria. You get know what I mean? So I'm just saying, as a South African business, it's, if, 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 if you're going to try to grow, oh, but MTN are getting fined. There's what they did in Iran. Hey, man, all I'm saying is bloom where you are planted. So as Lakshan culture, we are going to bloom where we are planted. We still have issues, exactly what you said, my brother. That boy who is in, in Bulukwad, how well are we servicing him? So I know that we are under-servicing our market. Until we are fully servicing South Africa and we've mastered SADC, which I'm hoping to master tomorrow, there's no way, for the next 20 years, I'm going to think about creating any brand that would not be a household name outside of South Africa. For me, that's, that's the plan in terms of Lakshmi Cup. Two more questions. Okay, one, 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 one,
funky sneakers, uh, I look chunky, I look like a chup-chup, I, I do nice cool funky things. I'm actually a bit of a nerd and, a, and, a, and an academic. Um, I'm actually more of an economist more than anything else. And the economic cycle of production, expenditure and consumption, right, is what I was trying to create even when we started, right? Not only with luxury culture, even Content. One of the reasons I ran the broadcast unit of Urban Brew, where my focus was to create special interest group channels, where you had Soweto TV, Bay TV, 1KZN, was to be able to go into markets. Where my argument in this case, like to speak to your point, Katlehong as a region was to use guys that are there, where there's a factory that makes clothing for people in, in Katlehong. And that's it. The people of Katlehong make the clothing. They wear their clothing. It's them for the market of Katlehong. Problem, you already said it, but man. It's, your, pronoun, your pronunciation is right, but I use a different pronunciation. It's a government, and I pronounce it government. Anything that has munt, employment, government, anything that has munt in this country, unfortunately, is a problem. And I, 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 I don't fuck with it. I'm going to be honest with you. I've stopped. I've stopped. My biggest challenge is that, and I'm sorry, 
I hope most of you have been drinking. But these motherfuckers spend a lot of time in that parliament. They drink, they talk. Me, I'm a doer, my man. You said you want to get into my mind. Me, I'm a doer. Right now, you said we must talk, so I'm going to talk. Me, I'm a doer. These fuckers spend time talking. They talk about how they're going to create employment. I've created more jobs than they have as a unit. They talk about GDP. For the last 20 years, do you know how much money I have into GDP just as one idea of Luxon culture? Think about how much money I've created for GDP just as Luxon culture. Just as one idea. So now imagine if, imagine if government invested money into idea creation. No, 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 no. Imagine if government invested money in idea creation. No one, no, no one talks about that. So to use one of your lessons, yeah. Uh, and this whole conversation around government's role and stuff, yeah. Particularly in this country, uh, I work with the word in spite of, or the word in spite of. So I'm not from this country, which means that, like when BE was was coming, I've never been able to benefit from all of those things, right? So you have to learn how to operate in spite of it. It doesn't matter how much we we know we, we know that they're not doing the things. Yeah. We know what they could how they could benefit the country if they even did half the work. But it is what it is. Unfortunately, this is the situation that you one is faced with. Now options are either you sit and you you bang your head against the wall. Um, but I, that's why I say I use the word in spite of. Yeah. It's to do everything in spite of government, in spite of um, you know, financiers, in spite of whoever. Because, and you see people who end up getting caught up in that space of, but this is what they should do. And it's not rocket science. And we can all see that you do this one small thing and it's going to create this major impact. Um, but they're not doing it. And even if we can see it, they're not seeing it or they're operating their interests. So for me, it's, it's, it's to always just operate in spite of it because it is what it is. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the environment we're in. That's the cause that we're dealt with. I mean, I've, I've actually been, I actually had people tell me, I used, to, I used to do poetry, I used to have people tell me in my bio, because my bio says, half German, half Ghanaian from Lesotho, living in South Africa. And I had people tell me, just take out that first part. <laughs> because if I take out that first part, the assumption, I'm light-skinned enough, my mother gave me enough, enough of a, a lighter shade to, to fit in. So people say to me, if you just take that out, then you'll get the book. I've had bookings where they're like, we're going to book you. Please send your bio. And then I send my bio, and then all of a sudden I don't hear from them. So for me, it's, it's operating in spite of But we're going to do the last two questions. Uh, my sister's even falling asleep waiting to ask her, ask her a question. So have your question, then Jordan. I don't know if it's more of a question or more of a story, right? So, um, before I got here, I decided to share the, the poster slash invitation from 
because I attend a lot of events like this with her. She's a writer, slash researcher. So I knew it was something she'd appreciate. So in a sense, it's her, she looks me. Oh my goodness, that's courage. I used to be a lot of stuff. That's why, do you know who Wendy is? And I was like, yeah, I do. No, no, no. Remember that cap you lost that got stolen? <laughs> and I was like, so yes, I do. She was like, yes, he's behind that. And I was like, no, I know lots of culture. Um, when I was younger, I attended Achilles' event, and my my cap, I remember until this day, was dinner face, and I had the lotion touching in them, and it was snatched off my head. And I walked home crying because <laughs> I knew that my mom was going to whip my ass. <laughs> she was going to tell me how expensive it was. Because I remember when I left the house, she was like to me, that thing is real. You can't walk out of that thing. You can't just wear it here. You have to wear it somewhere else. People are going to steal it. And I didn't listen, you know. And that's literally what happened. And then she, she reenacted that very day to me today. Remember that cat that lost? <laughs> when you get there, you ask him if if he's trying to do a comeback. <laughs> and then we had a whole um, conversation about street culture, yeah. you know. What I appreciate about my mom is that she's very Afrocentric, so we can talk to her about things like that, whether it's from the past or whether it's modern. And she was just like, you know, the funny thing about street culture is that there's still street culture today, yeah. but the culture element is no longer there, yeah. Ooh, you know. So we've got to be fashion. Yeah. It's a trend, but we don't have the culture yeah. And that's what I found interesting about how your story started off with the fact that you came into suburbia yeah. and you missed the culture. The culture yeah. and shape. Yeah. And my mom was just like, when you get there, I can see this is a conversation. Yeah. She ask. She was like, since I'm not invited, <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. She was like, you should ask if trying to come back because there's a lot that the youth today could actually learn about culture. actual culture that yeah. comes with street culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So my question comes with the whole fashion thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hear you say that you bring it back and yeah. it's modern and I guess more digital, but like when it comes to the actual clothes, do you have any intention of um, re, re, reintroducing it to I think one of the things that I, I absolutely love about the current youth yeah. is that the current youth is a lot freer than we were. Mm. I mean that. Like I, I mean that with, with, with every bit of me. From a music perspective, I had to shut someone up the other day who was like, Ah, these kids with I'm a piano. I'm a piano. It swears. Oh, and I was like, and then our quieto, our quieto was swearing. Our hip hop was swearing. From a from an impact perspective, I've never seen a genre like I'm a piano make the impact that it does make. I've never. I've never. And, and, and yes, the, 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 there's tools and mechanics that right now that, that make things the way that, that they do. I mean, like what, what Maporisa did on New Year's Eve with 
with the song that it did, with a song that was made in four hours, or like, we're living in a different era, right? That you couldn't do 20 years ago. I don't know if you know what I mean. So, so to live in this era, to be able to do those kind of things, right? You can only watch with Marvel. Like, what the kids of now are doing is something that is really amazing. And from a fashion perspective, when I look now with what the kids are doing now, Come on, like, it, there's nothing new to reintroduce. That's the first thing. I'm gonna take two steps back. Brent Wood is back. <laughs> like, it's, it's back. I don't know if you know what I mean. Now, there's something special about the question that you asked, right? And it's in line with also what he asked. I had this conversation with my partner, and he likes to call me a serial killer. Because I'm very academic with my things. And I'm very patient. And it's in line with what I also spoke about earlier, right? That a wealthy man knows when he's had enough. In 2006 and seven, when I, when I knew that I'd had enough, so when he asked me, he's like, so when do you think like, we're gonna be big again? I said, when the hood is big again. <laughs> Guess what? The hood is big again. That's why I'm a piano. It's big. That's why it's quiet. That's why culture. No, but the culture is back. The culture is back. It's just a different That's culture. the culture. It's a different culture. It's a different culture. It's a culture for its time. It's the culture so for of the us time. to bring, want to bring culture in its previous form. Yes. Yeah, you, no. You don't need to bring it You don't need to bring it, it back. There's a different kind of culture. There's a different kind of culture. But the culture, the, the culture today yes. is... It's pouncing cat. It's, it's, the, it's the culture... You know what I mean? <laughs> it's the pouncing cat. That's what it is. And there's nothing you can do about it. And, and, and we must respect that. It's the fountain cat, it's whatever's happening. It's Cardi B, Cardi B is coming now, that's about it. Like, it is what it is, that's the culture. It's the culture for today. It's the culture for today. Just like every generation will sit and listen to the music of their children. Yeah. And go, what's this rubbish you're listening to? Yes. And then that generation that's listening to the rubbish, becomes the older generation that looks at their children and goes, yes. what's this rubbish you're listening to? So, so, so in terms of culture, because culture is not a static thing, mm. right? Culture evolves. Mm. And, and so in bringing back, I've, I also love music, and I have a problem with certain artists. Mm. I'll give you an example. Asha, mm. right? So, and that's like... <laughs> <laughs> It's from a particular generation. <laughs> and she's not they, happy. She's not happy. What, 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 they, what they reacted to was Usher when he was current in Usher. And then what happened about three, four albums back? Those the what what next or something next? 8701. <laughs> but what he did was he was coming out. He was coming out. He was coming out of the album. It's like twenty. I think it was because I actually wrote on it and I gave away CDs. It's like 
I think two, 2009, 2010, right? Mm -hmm. He came out, but now you had Chris Brown, you had all of these young guys coming up. So in his album, he tried to make music that fit with these kids that were coming up. For, for, yeah. for me, I'm going to do your Asha. Do Asha. But, but he, was trying, he, was trying to modify, he was trying to modify it to speak to this new audience. And he just got swallowed within that because now he's, he's, now, he's no more the Asher that created the history, he is, he's now just one of these guys. And then we're going to measure you on the basis of these three albums. We're going to listen to these three albums, and the kid is making music that speaks to that audience. So, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm half speaking for him. Blockchain culture came out, right? And blockchain culture came out and was modified or evolved to speak to a younger audience. Mm -hmm. He has lost me, mm -hmm. who has a relationship, yeah. like a true relationship, because Lockshin culture for me was tied to my culture. Like, I remember going to Bashes in 1999 and 2000, and how we lived and how we parted in the music that we listened to. <laughs> Can I ask you something? Does it mean you will teach the young ones about what is important for our lifetime? I can. So personally, and I don't know what he has his views. So first, so like I have a twelve-year-old, right, and I have an eight-year-old. About four years ago, I came to accept, and I've written on music, and I've been involved in kind of media and music entertainment for years. About four years ago, I realized and I accepted the fact that what's out right now, I don't like it, but it's not for me. So I don't speak on, I don't speak on music that comes out today, because I've realized it's not for me. It's for this generation now. And doesn't matter whether I like it or whether I don't like it. Right. So, in terms of like my children get to hear what I grew up on, and they get to hear that. But I'm playing what I grew up on. So I'm playing old music. For them, because that's what that's mainly what I'm consuming. I can expose them to it, but the route that they take, just like my father, so I spent 15 years because my love for music came from my father. I spent 15 years trying to find an artist that I could play for my father that was my music that he would love. Okay, let me ask one thing. See, one thing there was a time when luxury fashion did shoes, right? You do a job, you do a course. Just because you see, there's one thing if I'm growing up, and there's something for that to wear when you're going and doing, I mean, growing up and doing things. Because it's something that you would take the luxury to that. Not only that, one of the reasons I always do fashion week is to push the boundaries of our imagination, right? It's to be able to put ourselves out there to be criticized by the biggest critics. But at the same time, it's the reason I'll be able to put ourselves into a pep store. So now imagine being able to put yourself onto a fashion ramp at SA Fashion Week and to put yourself into a pep store. 
how come Coca-Cola can be at Espaza shop and also sell at Michelangelo? There's no fashion brand that can do that. I want to be the first brand to be able to do that. I want to be a brand that is accessible. I want to be able to be a brand that is so accessible to the, to, to the person that cleans your house and you are the president and you can wear locks and couch. And there's no brand that can say that they can do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all of that is just all of that waiting for the But um, it's been very beautiful hearing, especially because I'm obviously one of the more experienced officials um, in the room. So it's been very interesting to hear a lot of these things that you know maybe there's like a generational gap or lapse of time that you know, there's someone experiencing something quite similar. And it's, that's quite profound and quite humbling. Um, and I think also just the general idea in these lessons packaged in like quite a lot of ways for quite profound. So it's more the same. Oh, okay. And also those this, shops this are bloody fantastic. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, it took, so it took me it took me like fifteen years. Um, and eventually, the album that I found was D'Angelo's Brown Sugar. And so, I mean, you'd, you'd hear some of my music that it was like, you'd hear some of my music and you'd be like, yeah, it's nice, right? And, but D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, I bought him the CD. In fact, I, I, I first bought it on cassette. But I bought him the CD three times because it kept my siblings kept on jacking it. <laughs> um, but something that just came to mind. So we were work, we were working on a pitch for a for a brand, and their target was your 18 to 24. So it's not millennials; it's now Generation Z, right? Um, which is the generation that comes afterwards. And and so we're working on this pitch, and we had to do a lot of. I mean, that day I think we played an Amapiano playlist for like two hours while like while we're sitting outside working on this pitch. And and I so I I hadn't listened to it and Wendy was like, no, listen to it. And I listened to it and I was just like, but it's quite good. I was just like, I I, I can see the evolution. So some people go quite just dead, some people go, what these kids doing? And I was just like, yeah, but it feels like it feels like an evolution of what we were listening to with quite. Um, but one of the interesting things that came up when I was doing the research, and it was, for me it was around music, was Generation Z are a very interesting generation in that they have traits of millennials, but they also have traits of those of us who are Gen, Gen X. And a lot of us are raising, like, our children are Gen, Gen Z. But when they talked about music specifically, it was, first of all, they, they socialize in smaller groups. They don't share millennials. I know there's some millennials here. Millennials, when social media came, like, you shared your lives. And then people got burnt. But there's still the sharing lies because it was like, yeah, we went there now to rein yourself back as hard. Generation Z don't just put their stuff out there. My son has an Instagram account. I think he has one post on there. He's had an Instagram account for like three years. He deletes it constantly. 
I never know how to find him because he's constantly changing the name. So he's not he's not vested, he's not holding on to this, this is the thing I'm doing. And it, he's and he's on Instagram, right? But the thing about music that was very interesting in the research was that they don't listen to, they don't engage with music on the basis of, okay, this is our music. Every generation before it's been this is like our music, contemporary music, this is our music, and this is the own music. They engage with music on the basis of do they enjoy it, do they enjoy it. Mm. So they'll go from a Frank Sinatra to an Amapiano to Werner Boy to Marvin Gaye to Vivaldi, right? And, and, and so, and how they, so how they consume is, is, is very different, right? So, so in terms of going back to your talking about kind of trying to speak to new cultures, you have a market that's evolving so much. So at the end of the day, and we were talking about this, and it just popped into my head, at the end of the day, so I was talking about, in terms of having been on radio, I used to edit a magazine, and when I was in a magazine, I understood who my community was, who my audience was, who my target market was. I understood them intrinsically. Like, I knew what they looked like, I knew what they did. And when I went on to radio, because my radio show was like this. So for an hour, I got people in the studio, and for an hour, we just talked, right? Which is very unique for radio. It was like a, it was like a podcast for but it happened to go on air. And I had this idea that, I had an idea of who would listen to my show. Because this week I'm doing Renewable Energy, and next week I'm doing Father. And then the following week I have a live poetry show, right? So I had this idea of, of who my audience was. And very quickly, my audience showed me that I had a cashier from Pick and Pay who religiously listened to my show. She would comment on Facebook, and she was always there. And even when I did stand-ins where, like over Christmas, you're playing music, she would, on Facebook, she'd be like, Kojo, I need to go to bed. Yeah. But now you're playing, it's not just you're playing great music, because I'm also a bit of a nerd, so I play music. But when I come on air, I'm telling you who sampled it, who wrote the song. I'm telling you, I'm engaging with, I'm engaging, I'm engaging with it in the way that I would, right? So one of the things that I, I learned out of that is do what you do, your audience or your community, because I have an issue with the word target market. So for me, your community will find you, right? So when, going back to the Asher thing, when you're trying to now find them and scramble, yeah. you start shifting so much. You lose sight of who you are and what it is that you do. So for me, luxury culture is like, it should do what it does. Yeah. 100%. And it's community worldwide. Yeah. You see, in terms of the space that we live in, in digital, we on our phones and everything. I mean, there's a couple of times I'm chilling with you, I see questions, people say, where can I find luxury culture? Is luxury culture looking to a way where Say, not everything is about e-commerce. Yeah. It's about a shop. When we need a warehouse, but we don't need to tell a person to say, go to 
Hudson Center, go to town wherever, and get to a way to say, you need an order, place it on your phone. Yeah, we, we, work, we work on an online store, but like, I, I want to be slightly hectic right now about us as black people and retail and our country as well. Um, I had this conversation on Friday with someone who was quite a debate with, and uh, like I even said, it's something that I do with great ease. And uh, whenever someone tries to have a debate with me about it, I feel sorry for them because it's something that I take not only great pride in, but it's it's it's, it's what I, I, I it's what I do for a living. When we started Luxon Culture, yeah, we were in something like seventeen department stores. I will name a few: Smart Center. Uh, uh, sales House, uh, Patrick Daniel, I only want to name the ones that don't exist anymore, right? Own, yeah. um, uh, BGs, um, and there's a reason I'm, I'm, I'm naming all of these, right? What people haven't realized from an evolution perspective, right? Before 1994, there were things like Miss Black South Africa, right? Before 1994, right, this country had, black people did things for themselves. Even retail was specifically, we used to sell things specifically to black people. And then things became politically correct. Right now, there's nothing that is specifically targeted to black people. I can tell you that now. Now, if you are a young person, let's say you're a designer right now, and you decided, I'm a designer and I want to sell my clothing label, I can tell you now, my brother, you've got nowhere to sell your brand right now. Right now. You've got nowhere to sell your brand. So right now, in terms of shelf space, our, our options are very limited. There's a few stores. Weber's is one of them which has got a few, and when I say is one of them, I'm talking about reliability. I'm talking about stores that you can supply and they'll pay you in 30 days. I'm talking about stores that are reliable where people know, I hear I can walk in and uh, if, I, if I buy or I lay by its items. So retail has changed also in terms of, if you go to CBD right now, yeah. I mean, I went to... A1 to look for a, a mixer and an amp, and I couldn't find A1, and I was just uh, uh, to around the corner. Joburg CBD is not, not what it used to be. I'm sure, I don't know if you guys have seen the social media posts where, where people are even walking on air on their own <laughs> because they get mad. You can't walk on small streets. <laughs> so, 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 so one, the retail experience of the market that I'm selling to is not the same. Of course. Right? But that's because we're dealing with new era kids now. But so how, many, how, many people, how many people here buy online? So, 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 
But in terms of the e-commerce market yeah. in South Africa and on the continent, and therefore that's, that's one of the strong areas. Um, e-commerce has not taken off in that, this country. Not, take off. Uh, so, so no, for statistically, no, no. in terms of the amount of money, yeah. it hasn't. It's 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 no, 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 no. And we tried it, by the way. In fact, yeah, do, 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 do you know the biggest issue is delivery. It's not actually e-commerce. So we can't go because he's not online, he's not, he, he, he's not making, he's not getting to the numbers that he has to. It's also, it stems from the issue that became an issue from the get-go back in March, which did you say, 2007, 2010? 2004. Which was counterfeit, yeah. But not just counterfeit that. Counterfeit isn't actual issue. Before, before we get to e-commerce. If you leave out counterfeit, right, mm-hmm. and you look at e-commerce, because e-commerce, that's where it's, it's the official stuff, right? Yeah, but there's, there's not a there's not enough people yeah. buying online. There's still yes. a large element of distrust, and 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 and, and the take a lot, yeah. and the community that the community that we're talking about being able to get to them for them to be able to access it. Like I can access, but I can access I can okay. access it in the suburbs. People don't spend money online. But my thing is that if you actually live downtown physically, you understand that what you get on the internet is actually downtown. You don't actually need the internet to access yeah. what you have the thing. But but I have it still boils yeah, down. But I have the liberty of going. No, but I have the liberty of going. I go to downtown. I can access it online, and I'll get it online. Yeah. With the majority of the people, yeah. the majority of this country. The only option they have is downtown. Yeah. So, 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 going, so going online, so going online, yes. and, and then if you add the, the challenges that what he's talking about in terms exactly. of distribution, there are no spaces. Exactly. So it's, it's, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't. Yeah. 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 So, That's right. Guys, so, there's still a digital divide in our country. Yes. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm going to, my eyes so are getting, my, my eyes are getting heavy like you see everybody else's eyes are. I can see everybody's eyes are getting heavy. I would just, I would just like to close off. Uh, Tuli, hello. Thank you. I'd like, I'd like to close off by thanking all of you for coming. Uh, we have your detail. We won't spam you, but we will let you know when the next one is coming and who our guest on the next one is. And like I said, the intention is for it to be easy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now you can debate. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast hosted by me, Kojo Bafa, a space where we explore art, culture, design, business, and life from an African perspective. We're still early in this journey, so if you enjoyed this episode and know someone who would enjoy it as well, please do share it with them. It would also be nice if you could leave us a review on whatever platform that it is you're listening, as well as subscribing. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Wandi, DJ Wandi, in Zimbabwe, who sadly passed away in January 2021. The technical producer on Listen to Your Footsteps podcast is Nklangano Shabalala, and the theme music was created by Kwekubafa.